Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Hybrid Intelligence Podcast. My name is Lee Sankey. I hope you're keeping well and thanks for listening. In this episode, I'm continuing my conversation with circular economy pioneer Sophie Thomas. Before getting into the episode, I thought it'd be worth sharing a few reflections from the first part of our conversation. The first is how Sophie described the material as the constant and the product is the blip. This is a really simple but powerful way, I think, of thinking about the core of what circularity is trying to achieve. The second reflection I have is we talked about the power consumers have to influence and change things. So yes, companies and businesses have a responsibility to create circular products in the face of the climate emergency, but we also as consumers play a part by redefining what a desirable product is by demanding recycled materials rather than ones made from virgin materials, for example, and that they're made with third or fourth life in mind. And at the moment, um, Sophie was talking about how secondary markets for recycled materials struggle sometimes to get traction because there's such a strong flow of new virgin material. And indeed, uh, investment in factories to create plastic is increasing. The third reflection I have is this idea Sophie has around just adding one or two sentences into design brief strategy documents and requirements that says a product needs to be designed for the third or fourth life in mind. In other words, it needs to be designed so that as much of the material can be reused and put back into the economy as, as possible. And as Sophie says, it's very rare for briefs to include this. Certainly, um, that's been my experience as well. So just by a- adding that that this is this is a requirement, I think it would just have such a profound effect, especially when, as Sophie described, 80% of a product's environmental impact is predetermined during the design phase. Now, fundamentally, consumers still want the latest shiny, innovative products and services. We all do. Designers still want to create, build and innovate. It's in their DNA and businesses will still and need to grow. So I started the second part of the conversation by asking Sophie where designers, consumers and businesses are in practical terms on the realities of tackling the climate emergencies with respect to their buying choices and learning to value and reuse materials that make products. Are we, for example, approaching the point where design consultancies will turn away work that is environmentally damaging, like some already do for gambling or tobacco? They won't work in those industries, for example. So where are businesses and designers and consumers are at the moment on circularity and climate change? <laughs> it, was so, it was quite interesting last year in COP because I was at the um, Design for Planet uh, conference. When I was starting to think about it a lot, I was actually getting quite depressed because a lot of people say to me, you've been doing this for so long, you know, <laughs> why are we still in this situation? Why has it got worse? <clears throat> and um, and I was thinking, yeah, God, why, why, why are we still talking about this? You know, it's, it's kind of the, the frustration and the, and the need for... Um, 
a reaction to an emergency is actually urgent. It's, it's an urgent reaction. It's an urgent need for things to happen right now, to change to happen right now. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult. The political climate is not making that easy. We have a lot of stagnation. We have potentially a global recession on the horizon. You know, that that actually stops a huge amount of companies working in this area. But, but also, it, it also brings in a focus on growth. And, yeah. And, the, and we don't really know yet, or we're not prepared to do things which will enable growth, but in a sustainable way. I mean, the way growth has been achieved historically. Yeah you know has been unsustainable so there's this sort of perfect storm politically around the need to to grow growth 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 yeah but i have to be hopeful i mean otherwise i wouldn't be doing this so i think that's the point why is design important so it's an old and well-established statistic 80 percent, approximately 80 percent of the environmental impact of a product is predetermined at concept design stage that's the stage where I've read the brief, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to make this? You know, what color is it going to be? How, you know, what do I want to do with it? You know, how is it going to feel? What's going to made of, et cetera? Who am I going to work with? You know, what products, what am I going to specify? If we can influence more designers at that point, every designer at that point, then things will start to change. The influence, you know, how many does, how many conversations have we had with designers who say, I don't have that kind of influence? That is rubbish. Designers, of course, they have influence. They are choosing. They are influencing. They are design. You know, they're drawing. They're kind of creating. They have that influence. After, well, actually, around the same time when the emergency was called, there were a group of designers like me who've been in the industry and are frustrated as we are in the industry, got together and created a collective called Urge, and urge is about really pushing for paradigm shift within industry, but also within businesses to really start using design in a way that actually changes things fundamentally. And that's kind of my more where I try and do more of the kind of radical influencing uh, political and... stuff, which I can't really do in a business. You know, it's difficult to do in a business. Yeah. But you see, that's kind of like that's why I'm sort of everyone's going, oh, you're. You know, you're doing this, you're doing that. I have to. I feel like I have to do some things because there's not enough being done. You know, my next ventures are about how do we support new businesses, which actually, or new people who have really good ideas, which are struggling to get it off the ground or kind of need that extra push in a place where they can get into an industry and really disrupt. I think there's there's so much opportunity, and that's. That it's a very, very exciting area, particularly in materials at the moment. I went to the new designers this year. I go every year. and But increasingly, particularly this year, which, you know, in a way I'm quite embarrassed about in, in many ways. I was really thinking or mindful of looking out for people who were thinking about sustainability and, uh, and were their designs designed in a way that we're thinking about future uses of that product and very few was thinking about this idea of circularity and when you asked them well you know what happens to this this design the this product at the end very few really had a, a an answer to that which i think is amazing especially for for young people do you think universities and and, and courses are doing enough on this really in terms of of sending a new generation of 
of designers out into the world who are think are thinking like this because I, I was yeah. you know, I was quite I was quite shocked by that I I noticed that too this year and I think I don't know whether it's to do with the problem is with sustainability and circularity now is is that is that it's taken as a kind of trend wave I think and you can't really deal with it like that you know it has to be sort of one of those fundamental learnings which you actually build into your process so it doesn't matter if you're designing something for well-being you're designing a new kettle you're designing a new brick or you're designing I don't know uh, a new bag or whatever actually the fundamental ways you design that so that's why i always talk about circular economy as a tool towards that it's it's built into the structure of how you actually create rather than why you are creating the product it's a part of the process it's part, part of, of the, the process yeah. so i don't mm-hmm. it is kind of worrying that it's not i mean this is something that we've talked about i've talked about from for about a decade about why this is so um non-existent in the curriculum in the way that we teach design because it should be there and there are you know there are colleges there are universities that are doing it and they're doing it really well they have you know you have masters on it you have in um in the university of sussex you have you know loughborough's doing stuff on it there were some really good students from nottingham that i went to see so but it's patchy. So, uh, but it's patchy. You know, it should be yeah. everywhere. I should be able. To, I should be like inundated with it, going, "Oh, I don't have to yeah. worry about it anymore." But it's not there, and that is wor- very concerning. So, in the same way that you know, when we're students, we learn about user research, prototyping, you know, sketching, model making, testing, yeah, uh, you know, coding, wireframing, all, all the sort of UX UI things. We should also be learning about. Uh, energy use, um, efficient code systems for digital things. Yeah. And and then when it comes to physical specifying. products and systems, specifying how, what happens at the end and how it's made. Yeah. And, yeah. and designing for what, you know, again, going back to your designing for third or fourth life, fourth life, how would you deal with that as a product? How do you communicate that with your client? Yes. So any university lecturers listening to this, <laughs> uh, <laughs> pay, uh, pay, paid heed. So, at least put at least put that sentence in your brief. Design, yes. Consider consider how that your design, how it were uh, yeah designed for third or fourth life of your product. <laughs> yeah, it would make 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 such a difference. So implementing circularity in a product is is very difficult though, isn't yeah. it, Sophie? And it and so because it's part of this wider system. So what what are the biggest challenges that you see? I mean, we've just been talking about the upfront specification, which you said has about 80% impact, but as you, as you move through it, the materials that are used through it down to whether local councils can, you know, have the right plants to recover all the the whole logistics and kind of recovery chain, um, which I guess is an extension of the supply chain, isn't it? It's the mirror. It's the mirror of, of the supply chains, the recovery chain. That's a big complicated thing. And then into the second secondary market for these for these materials where do you see the main barriers or is it all of it (laughs) i was going to say that everywhere you look on a so if you if you drew that uh extended supply chain that kind of whole life whole use life and and beyond as a circle every point there's issues one of the reasons why i always start and knee deep in the rubbish tip is that's where you find a lot of the failures of products or 
portfolios of design in there. So you, if you, I will start then work backwards. If you think about it, so designers get their briefs from a client or a man, which is a manufacturer or, you know, somebody who wants to sell this product or, you know, the service, et cetera. They've got to be in the right frame of mind to understand what circularity means because, you know, that's that's quite a big change for the, how they're going to sell something. So, you yeah. know, currently they put a product out on the market, they'll get a profit per unit. Whereas actually, if you think about, say, if we design something for leasing and servitization, it's a completely different model. You know, actually you're, you're having model, to think, yeah. it's a completely new business model. So the whole business of that has to change. And then you've got to think about your specification of materials, et cetera, et cetera. So you've really got to scrutinize all of that. Then you've got to have, uh, you were talking about, you know, how is it collected? What happens end of you, end of life in terms of things like, does it go into domestic bins? Does it go to e-waste? Do you send it back to the manu- yeah. manufacturer? Do you send it back to a specific place? Do you resell it, et cetera, et cetera? There's a lot of legalities and regulation about that. The Trade Subscription Act, for instance, if you have, if you create a new product and it has a reused bit within it, uh, you can't call it a new product. So there's kind of like, there are lots Ooh, of different things I all the way along that. there. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, this is the kind of things that we were digging up when we were doing the Great Recovery. So we worked with a lot of uh, lawyers there who we were talking about reuse and repair and remanufacture, well, reuse and remanufacture and how that is affects uh, the way that we could sell things and this, you know, all these things come up. So there's a need for regulation and legislation changes. And then the way that we collect stuff and recycle things at the moment. So if we look at electronics, you know, you could have a product like, you know, a phone, which has 40 different elements in it. Uh, we currently will crush it like in a massive big liquidizer and then Okay. put it into a furnace and pull out like 15 of the metals within that phone. All of the other elements are in there. Are actually, some of them are on the critical elements list already that the EU published. Some of them we're going to need. So we, we are pretty much all of them we're going to need in terms of like our demand for high-tech technologies, uh, renewable energies, you know, the huge amounts of rare earths in, in an electric battery solar panels use indium for instance and that's a material that is actually on all of our iphones all our ipads all touch screens none of that is recycled globally wow. it's impossible it's re- it's a very difficult material it can be done chemically to recover there's no economic incentive for that to be recovered so we're literally just burning just through ch- stuff. we're just chucking it away and it's actually yep. really hard to extract it out of the ground because it's not one of the primary mining materials. So it's a secondary mining element. So there's a lot of processing that goes on. If you think about a ton of aggregate, 1% of that ton is copper. The waste stream behind all of our materials is big. We haven't even started throwing it away yet and it's already got this massive Very amount of material. Lot, lot. Just to get, Just to get that. <laughs> That one percent or whatever it is, you know, that ridiculous. I mean, it's the the. I don't know if that's right. The, the stats are absolutely massive for for when you're looking it's at very extra- inefficient. Very extractive inefficient. mining is incredibly inefficient. I mean, like, as a designer, you're just you know you think, oh my god, I can't think of that. I just want to design a really nice product. So, <laughs> I always say that designers are very good at circular economy. Thinking about circular economy because they're very good at thinking about big. They can jump out of something and go. 
this is the system and then they can go deep and dive into the the millimeters and the kind of the the finer yeah the kerning (laughs) so they understand they can jump to these scales and actually that's what you need from somebody who can really understand it well that's definitely what i do on a daily basis but um, hopefully people can do that and then the other thing that needs to happen and this lot of the strategy work i do is about this is thinking about the different timelines of how we work with things so you know i talk about today tomorrow and the future so we have the near future and the far future when we talk about optimizing for now so any kind of packaging for instance that is on the market now today or is about to come on the market should be designed to be optimized to our recycling systems of the biggest market that it uses. Say if you're bringing a new product into the UK, you would definitely want to do it in a, if you can, in a, in a plastic that has, that can be recovered really easily, like a PET, like a plastic water bottle or an HGP, like a milk bottle. Those ones have very strong uh, supply and demand and are already kind of, exist, they already exist. Yeah, yeah. So if you bring a whole new material onto the market, which people like say, oh, I'm going to use PLA, which is a sort of one of the bioplastics. It's actually very disruptive because the waste management people go, well, I can't put it, it you can't put it in the composting because it won't compost. It, it's, it gets pulled out of the composting system in the because we don't have composting. We have anaerobic digestion. So again, designers need to understand the current system. This is why I spend all my time talking to waste managers. Um, and then it can't go into the recycling because it, it contaminates the PET. Um, So it ends up going into the incineration or it ends up going into, so so actually you think it's a better alternative to plastic, but actually it isn't. And this happens to a lot of materials. So things like Tetra Pak. And and on the side of Tetra Pak, it does have the recycling arrows on it, right? Yeah. Well, it's is it those... because it's waxed and it's it's got it's got it's got um all these different... on it which keep keep it well it's anything? it's any kind of laminated composite material so that particular material a multi-board material is uh plastic cardboard aluminium plastic cardboard you know it's it's complicated but it's used a lot in like things like you know oat milk or alternatives to milk sure sure and actually, so you're thinking you're doing a good thing. And it has all these different layers because they they are barriers to, you know, like, and keep freshness, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, we get all that. But end of life of that material is very complicated. Uh, currently, people think because like local authorities, like my local authority will will take it. And it's because there are, there are I think, about two different uh, facilities in the UK that will take that material back. And what they do is they separate it. They can separate out the paper from the plastic and the aluminium, but they can't yet take the aluminium and plastic apart. And the aluminium actually in all of those different materials is probably the most valuable. Sure, sure. Um, But what happens with that is that it's currently shredded and used in agriculture as a kind of, I don't know, they just, they spread it on land and they'll reuse the paper or they'll end up with a material which people think will go back into this beautiful new Tetra Pak or this new product, which in fact actually it produces a very, it's a cardboard. You know that when you get a car, when you get a carpet, and it's got a cardboard roll in the middle. That's yeah. what it will end up being. So, so it's very actually low grade, very low grade, very low value material. Right. So that is the problem. Although I'm 
focusing on that, there were loads and loads of different materials, crisp packets, you know, aluminium, tiny amounts of aluminium, tiny amounts of plastic merged together, no value whatsoever, but actually everywhere. It's like the ubiquitous toothbrush again. How do we deal with this? You know, we can do the luxury goods. We can do the luxury handbags made of amazing, you know, fruit leather or whatever. That's the kind of easy stuff. When you start getting to the kind of mass market, mass produced packaging, but the everyday and the millions of tons of this stuff, it's just like, it's really difficult to deal with. And, you know, then we're just, we're just losing. Basically the issue is that we are, we're so fast consumer good focused and we think that's the way for economic growth that we are missing the point completely yeah. actually it's just one way it's a one-way flow all the way through the system and we are going to be struggling uh, i was just judging the dyson awards this week and i was talking to a past winner about the price of circuit boards so his product which is just about to go on the market it's taking you know he's been developing it for since he won about eight years ago you know, the, the price of the, the microchips that he has to use for his product used to be in the pence, you know, when right, he was yeah. there. In the last few months, it's gone up to like hundreds of pounds because of the supply and demand of these products, of these yeah. chips. There is so little, you know, supply of these things. And we're all kind of like frantically trying to collect all these chips because of COVID or the factories closed down right, for a yeah. bit. Also, because of resource, there's no kind of, you know, raw materials coming. The flow of that, Ukraine stopped that, Russia stopped that. So a lot of our raw materials are in these countries, China. China owns like 98% of all the rare earth uh, facilities in the in the world. A lot of stuff comes from Russia. You know, they just banned another pro- another element coming in from Russia. So do we understand as consumers all of that? It's a very complicated landscape. And then we have these chips, but then we just chuck them away. So it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> I'm like, it's, uh, it's anyway. precious. We have to understand it's, it, it's precious. Yeah. It's co- and it's incredibly complicated. And I think designers right, yeah. tend not to, well, I mean, designers, everybody tends not to, to get their head, want to get their head around the complexities of it. But that is like, we have to accept things up. We have made things so complicated that we actually have to unpick it a bit and really understand it further and try and, work out how to you know circularity adds an incredible amount of complexity to the to everything and it sounds like we have circular systems or recycling systems today which work very well for certain materials but not for others but those systems can't be static either and they're going to have to evolve and change to deal with these these new materials so the design of those systems can't be fixed they'll need to evolve over time Um, That's exactly right. Yeah. You mentioned, um, I saw you giving a talk uh, a few months ago, and you did say despite all this complexity and and, and the sort of how depressing it can be. uh, Doom and gloom. Yeah, there are. Well, I think people, you know, I think this has been a great conversation because people do need to, uh, you know, wake wake up to this and, and designers need to really start thinking about this or Push, pushing back, I suspect, against uh, clients who who don't want to compromise on on the product and want to use certain materials, or they don't want to compromise on the margins that they'll make. You did say that there are some companies who are doing some good, starting to do some good things. For example, Apple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
no I mean I'm always being asked for like please give us some positive exact yeah. positive case studies and um and there's still that aren't enough I would suggest but there are companies and actually uh the work that Apple are doing is really interesting in terms of their sustainability reporting and also understanding where their pain points are they're, pro- they're very good at that you know as a, as a technology company incredibly good at understanding the kind of the future supply all their different you know material flows etc very much like aerospace companies they really understand because they have such specific needs for specific materials that they absolutely understand where they're coming from in the in the next 20 years etc so apple have been very good at that recently um and they and they say you know the new the new 13 is is made with x percent of yeah, recycled rare earths. You yeah, know. exactly. Uh, one, one, one hopes that's correct. Yeah, but so um, they set themselves a project to try and uh, recover rare earths from their product. And that's part of it is about getting their products back. So, you know, having the the robots like Daisy to to be able to take them apart. And to un- so when you start this, start this, it goes back to that process that we took the designers on of tear down, design up. And our process was quite rudimentary so we'd give designers a screwdriver and say try and take this product apart effectively apple do the same so they've taken you know they wrote they have robotics that take their phones apart but then it does help you understand things like uh how strong is your glue you know are you when you take something apart does it rip something else and make it unusable etc and how easy is it get to get to those rare earths and then you start iterating the design to, to make it easier for you to extract those rare earths so right and it's very only... rare that happens today in the design process very oh it's very, incredibly very rare. rare particularly for a company like that as well you know like big companies but you know they also have started a joint venture with an aluminium found uh, smelter foundry and they recycle their aluminium and reuse it in their products so they've got they're starting kind of thinking about the closed loop of their materials and also repairability you know actually that kind of conversation yes. about the way you design your product is impossible because you're you know it used to be i mean i've been using apple since i start as a designer you know i started using apple in 95 93 quadra. actually an LLC2, whatever they call it, LX, I can't remember what they called, okay, the little yeah. boxy Quadra ones. was my first one. <laughs> and um, there was a point where you could just open the side, you held your breath, open the side, bunged in the graphic card, put some extra memory and shut it again and it starts up. Now, you know, that's impossible to do. You immediately break the warranty. It has invisible clips which break so they know you got inside of it. Technology companies know that phones generally break because the screen breaks and the battery goes. And... Now the big push on repairability and the, and the right to repair has actually really changed the way that they're designing that. So now instead of gluing in the battery, they have a kind of easy, there's a kind of new way of pulling it out. Um, and also it's much easier to, to change the screen. So those kinds of things are evolving. And that is to do, a lot of that is to do with pressure, government legislation. pressure, legislation, yeah, public pressure, customer pressure, customers saying enough is enough. Um, That's where I I get sometimes very disheartened with where policymakers, you know, and it it either shows the the, the power of lobbying and various other things. But I often think the the fastest way to deliver these kind of changes is through legislation, like we've seen with plastic bags or or whatever, Unless unless the government comes out and says, well, you can't do this now. 
people will often take the path of least resistance of which this isn't one of them yeah i mean there's some interesting things coming up so uh the waste resource strategy that was released like i think about five years ago had a huge amount of detail in it about the potential of circularity or kind of resource efficiency coming into our regulation and, and legislation um and the environment bill which is yet to be it's kind of still out there i mean we're still waiting for some of the pieces to come through is going to be changing a lot as well in terms of things like extended producer responsibility producer pays waste payments etc so companies now who bring something onto the market and the initial focus is in packaging but it will start to expand into different filter sectors through, yeah. filter through into e-waste construction vehicles etc they will get charged if they put certain materials onto the market. You will basically have to pay for a material that is, if it's not recyclable, if it has to go to incineration, then you will pay more. So, so I think this, those techniques are going to be so powerful. Same yeah. with taxation. Same with taxation, right? If uh, yeah. you can see, you can see a future where if you're a B Corp, you pay less tax than than if you're not, for example. Yes, yeah, so um, very interesting. I wanted to ask you about any new projects that you've got coming up. You've got a, a new venture. Oh, yes. Uh, which, which, so, <laughs> is, which is just about to launch. It is. One of the things that, um, as somebody who works a lot with different con different design companies and different, con you know, different manufacturing, etc., really noticed is that there's a kind of point where, you know, you go to, you could go to new designers and you could see someone with a really great idea Yep. or you know some spark of something and think okay brilliant how can this become something that can really disrupt you know this actually this this person or this product needs help and the kind of route to that at the moment is through incubators it's through kind of like acceleration programs but that's kind of at a level where you only get so far with it um and also you don't get that kind of you have to work on your own in your kind of sitting room for or wherever in your bedroom for quite a long time to get to that point so um i'm part of a, a new ventures studio which is effectively like a, an incubator accelerator and a kind of an ideas studio all rolled into one uh which is looking at new ventures in circularity pre-seed levels so that's before they get into the kind of yep. big money but actually really helping them to support them as businesses, but also to help them develop circular economy understanding for their products, for their idea, and also to help with things like um, IP or laboratory work or that kind of like development work to get to the point where they become credible enough to start getting some proper investment. It's very What's exciting. It called? It's called Etsor Ventures, which is the reverse of waste, if you think of the word. So it's all ventures. It's all ventures. And uh, yeah, and it's very exciting. We have a number of companies which we've signed up that we're starting to help and push and develop. Um, is, that, is that more like a consultancy type it's, uh, wing to it? Uh, there is a consultancy type wing to it. And I think, but we're the ones that are kind of nurturing it. It's more of a hands-on studio, which really supports from a circularity perspective and there are four of us two of us are circular economy experts have been doing it for 20 odd years and we have a ip we have venture specialists and also investment so we invest in the companies 
we become almost become like partners in the companies and then we help push them up. The companies that we're going to be working with and the, the ideas that we're going to be working with are going to be very disruptive and therefore quite complicated, which is why people are, they find it harder to get going Funding, in yeah, the market. To get airborne, yeah, yeah, going from zero to one. So uh, a big area is, is new materials, for instance. Super exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sophie. I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a, a brilliant and informative and in, inspiring. And I think we all need, to, as uh, as creatives, designers, strategists, consumers, all the different hats that we that we wear, need to be thinking about what we can do in yeah in, in this area where we have influence. There's so much, isn't there? We we could literally could talk forever. I mean, that's my problem. I could t I could rant. It's a rant. <laughs> well, a bit of rant, a bit a bit, bit of, of ranting is uh, is required, and I guess that goes all the way back to the beginning about your parents and growing up in that kind of activist um, kind of household yeah. and, and vibe. And this, this is our big issue, isn't it? Well, one one well the biggest issue. The, the biggest issue. I mean, everything. Everything stems to it. If we don't have a world to live in where we all live in harmony with nature, with wildlife, with you know, with the biodiversity that we need and the materials that we can replenish. We didn't talk about regenerative design, which is the kind of actually the ultimate we need to get to where we we make better. We we don't make good, we don't make less bad, we make better. And that's actually where we need to get to. But we are kind of quite far from that at the moment but we that's our you know i'm going to end on a positive <laughs> well we'll is... get you back to talk about that next <laughs> regenerative design. regenerative design yeah if i can even say that <laughs> but brilliant okay brilliant. thank you thank you so much you're welcome Thank you to my guest, Sophie Thomas. So much to take away from this and the previous episode. The points that stood out for me in this part of the conversation were just the opportunity and the necessity, I should say, to include sustainability and circularity in university education, especially for design. The need to think about the design and implementation of recovery chains with the same sort of focus and impact and commitment that we have in the supply chain you know they have to become one and the same thing in 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 many ways um, but the main thing that I take away from this conversation with Sophie is just how hard it is to implement circularity just because of the massive complexity so one has to applaud everything Sophie is doing and to find out more about her work and her consultancy and her new venture firm, Etsor Ventures, see the show notes below. So if you're looking to do something with the circular economy, uh, create a circular product, implement a circular system, Sophie will be a great person to connect with. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and hear about new episodes. Please give us a rating or write a review if you have time. Always appreciated. If you have any comments or want to get in touch, our email is contact at doorglobal.com. My name is Lee Sankey, and until next time, keep well and thanks for listening. <laughs>